Chapter 3, The Catalans About a hundred paces from the spot where the two friends were, with their looks fixed on the distance and their ears attentive, while they imbibed the sparkling wine of La Malgue, behind a bare and torn and weather-worn wall was the small village of the Catalans. One day a mysterious colony quitted Spain and settled on a tongue of land on which it is to this day. It arrived from no one knew where and spoke an unknown tongue. One of its chiefs, who understood Provencal, begged the commune of Marseille to give them this bare and barren promontory, on which, like the sailors of the ancient times, they had run their boats ashore. The request was granted, and three months afterwards, around the twelve or fifteen small vessels which had brought these gypsies of the sea, a small village sprung up. This village, constructed in a singular and picturesque manner, half Moorish, half Spanish, is that we behold at the present day, inhabited by the descendants of those men who speak the language of their fathers. For three or four centuries they remained faithful to this small promontory, on which they had settled like a flight of seabirds, without mixing with the Marseillese population, intermarrying, and preserving their original customs and the costume of their mother country as they have preserved its language. Our readers will follow us along the only street of this little village and enter with us into one of the houses, on the outside of which the sun had stamped that beautiful color of the dead leaf peculiar to the buildings of the country, and within a coat of lime wash of that white tint which forms the only ornament of Spanish pesodas. A young and beautiful girl with hair as black as jet, her eyes as velvety as the gazelle's, was leaning with her back against the wainscot, rubbing in her slender figures, molded after the antique, a bunch of heath blossoms, the flowers of which she was picking off and strewing on the floor, her arms bare to the elbow, embrowned and resembling those of the Venus at Arles, moved with a kind of restless impatience, and she tapped the earth with her pliant and well-formed foot, so as to display the pure and full shape of her well-turned leg in its red cotton stocking with gray and blue clocks. At three paces from her, seated in a chair, which he balanced on two legs, leaning his elbow on an old worm-eaten table, was a tall young man of twenty or twenty-two, who was looking at her with an air in which vexation and uneasiness were mingled. He questioned her with his eyes, with the firm and steady gaze of the young girl controlled his look. "'You see, Mercedes,' said the young man, "'here is Easter, come around again. Tell me, is this the moment for a wedding?' "'I have answered you a hundred times, Fernand, and really you must be your own enemy to ask me again.' "'Well, repeat it, repeat it, I beg of you, that I may at last believe it. Tell me for the hundredth time that you refused my love, which had your mother's sanction.' Make me fully comprehend that you are trifling with my happiness, that my life or death are immaterial to you. Ah, to have dreamed for ten years of being your husband, Mercedes, and to lose that hope, which was the only stay of my existence. At least it was not I who ever encouraged you in that hope, Fernand, replied Mercedes. You cannot reproach me with the slightest coquetry. I have always said to you, I love you as a brother. But do not ask for me more than sisterly affection, for my heart is another's. Is not this true, Fernand? Yes, I know it well, Mercedes, replied the young man. Yes, you have been cruelly frank with me. But do you forget that it is among the Catalans a sacred law to intermarry? You mistake, Fernand. It is not a law, but merely a custom. And I, pray of you, do not cite this custom in your favor. You are included in the conscription, Fernand, and only at liberty on sufferance, liable at any moment to be called upon to take up arms. Once a soldier, what would you do with me? A poor orphan, forlorn, without fortune, with nothing but a hut, 
half in ruins, containing some ragged nests, a miserable inheritance left by my father to my mother, and by mother to me? She's been dead a year, and you know, Fernand, I have subsisted almost entirely on public charity. Sometimes you pretend I am useful to you, and that is an excuse to share with me the produce of your fishing, and I accept it, Fernand, because you are the son of my father's brother, because we were brought up together, and still more because it would give you so much pain if I refuse. But I feel very deeply that this fish which I go and sell, and with the produce of which I buy the flax I spin, I feel very keenly, Fernand, that this is charity. And if it were, Mercedes, poor and lone as you are, you suit me as well as the daughter of the first shipowner, or the richest banker of Marseille. What do such as we desire but a good wife and careful housekeeper? And where can I look for these better than in you? Fernand, answered Mercedes, shaking her head. A woman becomes a bad manager, and who shall say she will remain an honest woman when she loves another man better than her husband? Rest content with my friendship, for I repeat to you that all I can promise, and I will promise no more than I can bestow. I understand, replied Fernand. You can endure your own wretchedness patiently, but you are afraid of mine. Well, Mercedes, beloved by you, I would tempt fortune. You would bring me good luck, and I should become rich. I could extend my occupation as a fisherman, might get a place as clerk in a warehouse, and become myself a dealer in time. You could do no such thing, Fernand. You are a soldier, and if you remain at the Catalans, it is because there is not a war. So remain a fisherman, and contented with my friendship, as I cannot give you more. Well, you are right, Mercedes. I will be a sailor, instead of the costume of our fathers, which you despise. I will wear a varnished hat, a striped shirt, and a blue jacket with an anchor on the buttons. Would not that dress please you? What do you mean? asked Mercedes, darting an angry glance at him. What do you mean? I do not understand you. I mean, Mercedes, that you are thus harsh and cruel with me because you are expecting someone who is thus attired. But, perhaps, he whom await is inconstant, or if he is not the sea, is so to him. Fernand! cried Mercedes. I believed you were good-hearted, and I was mistaken. Fernand, you are wicked to call to your aid jealousy and the anger of God. Yes, I will not deny it. I do await, and I do love him to who you allude. And if he does not return, instead of accusing him of the inconstancy which you insinuate, I will tell you that he died loving me and me only. The young Catalan made a gesture of rage. I understand you, Fernand. You would be revenged on him because I do not love you. You would cross your Catalan knife with his dirk. What end would that answer? To lose you my friendship if he were conquered, and see that friendship change into hate if you were conqueror? Believe me, to seek a quarrel with a man is a bad me method of pleasing the woman who loves that man. No, Fernand, you will not thus give way to your evil thoughts. Unable to have me for your wife, you will content yourself with having me for your friend and sister. And besides, she added, her eyes throbbed and moistened with tears. Wait, wait, Fernand. You said just now that the sea was treacherous, and he has been gone four months. And during these four months, we've had some terrible storms. Fernand made no reply, nor did he attempt to check the tears which flowed down the cheeks of Mercedes, although for each of these tears he would have shed his heart's blood, but these tears flowed for another. He arose, paced a while and down the hut, and then, suddenly stopping before Mercedes with his eyes glowing and his hands clenched, "'Say, Mercedes,' he said, "'once for all, is this your final determination?' 
I love Edmund Dantes, the young girl calmly replied, and none but Edmund shall ever be my husband. And you will always love him? As long as I live. Fernand let his head fall like a defeated man, heaved a sigh which resembled a groan, and then suddenly looked her full in the face with clenched teeth and expanded nostrils, said, But if he is dead, if he is dead, I shall die too. If he has forgotten you, Mercedes, cried a voice joyously outside the house. Mercedes! Ah, exclaimed the young girl, blushing with delight and springing up with love. You see, he has not forgotten me, for here he is. And rushing towards the door, she opened it, saying, Here, Edmund, here I am. Fernand, pale and trembling, receded like a traveler at the sight of a serpent and fell into the chair beside him. Edmund and Mercedes were clasped in each other's arms. The burning sun of Marseille, which penetrated the room by the open door, covered them with a flood of light. At first they saw nothing around them. Their intense happiness isolated them from all the rest of the world, and they only spoke in broken words, which are the tokens of a joy so extreme that they seem rather the expression of sorrow. Suddenly, Edmund saw the gloomy countenance of Ferdinand, as it was defined in the shadow, pale and threatening, and by a movement for which he could scarcely account to himself, the young Catalan placed his hand on the knife at his belt. Ah, your pardon, said Dantes, frowning in his turn. I did not perceive that there were three of us. Then, turning to Mercedes, he inquired, Who is this gentleman? One who will be your best friend, Dantes, for he is my friend, my cousin, my brother. It is Fernand, the man whom, after you, Edmund, I love the best in the world. Do you not remember him? Yes, said Edmund, and without relinquishing Mercedes's hand, clasped in one of his own, he extended the other to the Catalan with a cordial air. But Fernand, instead of responding to this amiable gesture, remained mute and trembling. Edmund then cast his eyes scrutinizingly at Mercedes, agitated and embarrassed, and then again on Fernand, gloomy and menacing. I did not know when I came here with such haste to you that I was to meet an enemy here. An enemy, cried Mercedes with an angry look at her cousin. An enemy in my house, do you say, Edmund? If I believed that, I would place my arm under yours and go with you to Marseille, leaving the house to return to it no more. Fernand's eyes darted lightning. And should any misfortune occur to you, dear Edmund, she continued with the same calmness, which proved to Fernand that the young girl had read the very innermost depth of his sinister thought. If misfortune should occur to you, I would ascend to the highest point of the Cape de Morgeon and cast myself headlong from it. Fernand became deadly pale. But you are deceived, Edmund, she continued. You have no enemy here. There is no one but Fernand, my brother, who will grasp your hand as a devoted friend. And at these words, the young girl fixed her imperious look on the Catalan, who, as if fascinated by it, came slowly toward Edmund and offered him his hand. His hatred, like a powerless though furious wave, was broken against the strong ascendancy which Mercedes exercised over him. Scarcely, however, had he touched Edmund's hand than he felt he had done all he could do and rushed hastily out of the house. Oh, he exclaimed, running furiously and tearing his hair. Oh, who will deliver me from this man? Wretched, wretched that I am. Hello, Catalin. Hello, Fernand. Where are you running to? exclaimed a voice. The young man stopped suddenly, looked around him, and perceived Caderousse sitting at a table with danglers under an arbor. Well, said Caderousse, why don't you come? Are you really in such a hurry that you have no time to say how do to your friends? 
particularly when they still have a full bottle before them, added Danglers. Fernand looked at them both with a stupefied air, but did not say a word. He seems besotted, said Danglers, pushing Caderousse with his knee. Are we mistaken, and is Dantes triumphant in spite of all we have believed? Why, we must inquire into that, was Caderousse's reply. And turning towards the young man said, Well, Catalin, can't you make up your mind? Fernand wiped away the perspiration streaming from his brow and slowly entered the arbor whose shade seemed to restore somewhat of calmness to his senses, and whose coolness somewhat of refreshment to his exhausted body. "'Good day,' said he. "'You called me, didn't you?' And he fell rather than sat down on one of the seats which surrounded the table. "'I called you because you were running like a madman, and I was afraid why you would throw yourself into the sea,' said Catherus, laughing. "'Why, when a man has friends, they are not only to offer him a glass of wine, but, moreover, to prevent his swallowing three or four pints of water unnecessarily.' Fernand gave a groan, which resembled a sob, and dropped his head into his hands, his elbows leaning on the table. Well, Fernand, I must say, said Caderousse, beginning the conversation with that brutality of the common people in which curiosity destroys all diplomacy. You look uncommonly like a rejected lover, and he burst into a hoarse laugh. Bah, said Danglars, a lad of his make was not born to be unhappy in love. You are laughing at him, Caderousse. No, he replied. Only hark how he sighs. Come, come, Fernand, said Caderousse. Hold up your head and answer us. It's not polite not to reply to friends who ask news of your health. My health is well enough, said Fernand, clenching his hands without raising his head. Ah, you see, Danglars, said Caderousse, winking at his friend. This is it. Fernand, whom you see here, is good and brave Catalan, one of the best fishermen in Marseille, and he is in love with a very fine girl named Mercedes. But it appears, unfortunately, that the fine girl is love the second in command on board the Pharaon. And as the Pharaon arrived today, why, you understand. No, I do not understand, said Danglars. Poor Fernand has been dismissed, continued Caderousse. Well, and what then, said Fernand, lifting up his head and looking at Caderousse like a man who looks for someone on whom to vent his anger. Mercedes is not accountable to any person, is she? She not free to love whomsoever she will? Oh, if you take it in that sense, said Caderousse, it is another thing. But I thought you were a Catalan, and they told me the Catalans were not men to allow themselves to be supplemented by a rival. It was even told me that Fernand especially was terrible in his vengeance. Fernand smiled piteously. A lover is never terrible, he said. Poor fellow, remarked Danglars, affecting to pity the young man from the bottom of his heart. Why, you see, he did not expect to see Dantes return so suddenly. He thought he was dead, perhaps, or perchance faithless. These things always come on us more severely when they come suddenly. Ah, ma foi, under any circumstances, said Caderousse, who drank as he spoke, and on whom the fumes of the wine of Le Malgue began to take effect. Under any circumstances, Fernand is not the only person put out by the fortunate arrival of Dantes. Is he, Danglars? No, you are right, and I should say that would bring him ill luck. Well, never mind, answered Caderousse, pouring out a glass of wine for Fernand and filling his own for the eighth or ninth time, while Danglars had merely sipped his. Never mind. In the meantime, he marries Mercedes, the lovely Mercedes. At least he returns to do that. During this time, Danglars fixed his piercing glance on the young woman, on whose heart Caderousse's words fell like molten lead. And when is his wedding to be? he asked. Oh, it is not yet fixed, murmured Fernand. No, but it will be, said Caderousse, as surely as Dantes will be captain of the Ferran, eh, Danglars? Danglars shuddered at this unexpected attack and turned to Caderousse, 
whose countenance he scrutinized to try and detect whether the blow was premediated. But he read nothing but envy in a countenance already rendered brutal and stupid by drunkenness. Well, said he, filling the glasses, let us drink to Captain Edmund Dantes, husband of the beautiful Catalan. Caderousse raised his glass to his mouth with unsteady hand and swallowed the contents of the gulp. Fernand dashed his on the ground. Eh, 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 stammered Caderousse. What do I see down there by the wall in the direction of the Catalans? Look, Fernand, your eyes are better than mine. I believe I see double. You know wine is a deceiver, but I should say it was two lovers walking side by side and hand in hand. Heaven forgive me. They did not know that we can see them, and they are actually embracing? Dangler did not lose one pang that Fernand endured. Do you know them, M. Fernand, he said? Yes, was the reply in a low voice. It is M. Edmund and Mademoiselle Mercedes. Ah, see there now, said Caderousse, and I did not recognize them. Hello, Dantes. Hello, lovely damsel. Come this way and let us know when the wedding is to be, for Monsieur Fernand here is so obstinate he will not tell us. Hold your tongue, will you? said Danglars, pretending to restrain Caderousse, who, with the tenacity of drunkards, leaned out of the arbor. Try to stand upright and let the lovers make love without interruption. See, look at Monsieur Fernand and follow his example. He is well behaved. Fernand, probably excited beyond bearing, pricked by Danglars as the bull is by the bandoleros, was about to rush out, for he had risen from his seat and seemed to be collecting himself to dash headlong upon his rival. When Mercedes, smiling and graceful, lifted her lovely head and showed her clear and bright eye, at this Fernand recollected her threat of dying if Edmund died and dropped again heavily on his seat. Danglars looked at the two men, one after the other, the one brutalized by liquor, the other overwhelmed with love. I shall extract nothing from these fools, he muttered, and I am very much afraid of being here between a drunkard and a coward. Yet this Catalan has eyes that glisten like the Spaniards, Sicilians, and Calabrians, who practice revenge so well. Unquestionably, Edmund's star is in the ascendant, and he will marry the splendid girl. He will be Captain Sue and laugh at us all. Unless... A sinister smile passed over Dangler's lips. Unless I mingle in the affair, he added. Hello, continued Caderousse, half rising with his fist on the table. Hello, Edmund. Do you see your friends? Are you too proud to speak to them? No, my dear fellow, replied Dantes. I am not proud, but I am happy, and happiness blinds, I think, more than pride. Ah, very well. That's an explanation, said Caderousse. Well, good day, Madame Dantes. Mercedes curtsied gravely and said, That is not my name, and in my country it bodes ill fortune, they say, to call young girls by the name of their betrothed before he becomes their husband. Call me then Mercedes, if you please. We must excuse our worthy neighbor, Caderousse, said Dantes. He is so easily mistaken. So, then, the wedding is to take place immediately, Monsieur Dantes, said Danglars, bowing to the young couple. As soon as possible, Monsieur Danglars, today all preliminaries will be arranged at my father's, and tomorrow, or next day at the latest, the wedding festival here at La Reserve. My friends will be there, I hope. That is to say, you are invited, Monsieur Danglars, and you, Caderousse. And Fernand, said Caderousse with a chuckle. Fernand, too, is invited. My wife's brother is my brother, said Edmund, and we, Mercedes and I, should be very sorry if he were absent at such a time. Fernand opened his mouth to reply, but his voice died on his lips, and he could not utter a word. Today, the preliminaries, tomorrow or next day, the ceremony, you are in a hurry, Captain. Danglars, said Edmund, smiling, 
I will say to you as Mercedes just said now to Caterus, do not give me a title which does not belong to me. That may bring me bad luck. Your pardon, replied Danglers. I merely said you seemed in a hurry, and we have lots of time. The Pharaon cannot be underway any in less than three months. We are always in a hurry to be happy, M. Danglers, for when we have suffered a long time, we have great difficulty in believing fortune. But it's not selfishness alone that makes me thus in haste. I must go to Paris. To Paris? Really? And will it be the first time you have ever been there, Dantes? Yes. Have you have business there? Not of my own. The last commission of poor Captain Leclerc. You know to what I allude, Danglers. It is sacred. Besides, I shall only take the time to go and return. Yes, yes, I understand, said Danglers. And then in a low tone he added, to Barris, no doubt, to deliver the letter which the Grand Marshal gave him. Ah, this letter gives me an idea, a capital idea. Ah, Dantes, my friend, you are not yet registered number one on board the good ship Fran. Then turning toward Edmund, who was walking away, good journey, he cried. Thank ye, said Edmund with a friendly nod, and the two lovers continued their route, calm and joyous.